So I'm excited. We've been in the middle of a series, before we get to the Christmas series, about walking with God. And uh, last week, I missed you guys. I was down in, uh, down in Oregon speaking at a youth conference, a youth leadership conference, and it was awesome. We had a, a blast. Some of you were there, and uh, there was about 200 or so kids down there. And uh, let's see, I, pro- I preached Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday morning. So five times in like 30-something hours, and my voice just went away. So if my voice is a little choppy uh, today, it's coming back. My voice was my offering last week, I think, and it went away at the end. At the end. But, uh, but I'm feeling strong. I missed all of you guys. It was a blast being down there. Whenever I get together with the teenagers like that, I just remember how old I have gotten. Uh, <laughs> trying to keep up with all of that energy. Uh, but it was so neat to just be surrounded because here's what I believe uh, about our, our young people. They are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church today. And God can move in them and through them today. He's changing the world through our, through our young people today. And it was so neat to see almost 200 leaders get together, students, uh, and just all committed to making an impact in the world today. And so uh, that was really exciting, and thank you for sharing me with them, and uh, whether you intended to or not, that was awesome. And so one of the things I love is that we just get to see kind of the heart of what God's doing here in Celebration Center get uh, out there and expand and grow and have kingdom impact larger than what you even know. And when you partner with us as part of the family, you get to have impact greater than you even know. And so it was totally incredible to do that, but we've been in a series here on Walking with God. And a couple weeks ago, we dove into the story of Enoch. And from just a few verses of Enoch, I managed to talk for like 55 minutes. And some of you were really impressed. And some of you were like, how did you do that? But, uh, but what was incredible is we learned uh, what it looks like to really walk with God. And then last week, Pastor Gary was here and uh, talked about Abram and the ability to stay faithful to God, even when you don't know where things are going sometimes. And I love just this picture that we have, that for some people, the epitaph of their life looked a little something like this, they walked with God. And what an incredible epitaph or story of your life. I don't know what better thing you might be able to have as the kind of uh, opening line of your obit than this person walked with God. And so when someone gets that epitaph or that obit or, or that notion uh, in, their, uh, in their byline, we want to pay a little attention and see what can we learn from someone who the scriptures said, this person walked with God. And so today we're going to dive into one of my favorite people in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Partly it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I think most of us don't read the whole story. And since we don't read the whole story, it's really fun for me to walk into this story and see people's eyes light up as they realize, I didn't realize that was in there. Because when I heard the story of Noah... When I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old in kids' church, no one really talked about how many people passed away, right? I love this picture that we have because Noah's a, a common theme for our nurseries, and we draw two little, or we get two pictures of two little uh, giraffes and two little elephants, but we don't have thousands of people under the water just floating, We don't tell the whole story. There's a powerful, crazy, um, a dynamic, life-giving story of who God is in here, but we gotta recognize the whole story. And so the scriptures point out in Hebrews chapter 11, kind of under the heroes of faith, that Noah belongs here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, listen to this, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's powerful. 
So we know something about Noah because he's gonna pop up in the next verse. We know that the author of Hebrews says, this is the qualification of faith that you believe God exists and that you believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the next verse that pops says, by faith, and that we've just defined faith as believing that God exists and believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse six just said. That's what faith does. So by faith, by believing God exists, and by believing that when you pursue God, he uh, earnestly, he rewards those who seek him. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Some versions will talk there about became intimate with God. Because of his faith and his trust in God, he learned to walk with God. And because he walked with God, he behaved according to what God's plan was for him. You see, here's the thing I want you to catch. God is a planner. God is a planner. How many of you are naturally planners? How many love to have a plan and stick to the plan? Yeah, there's a few of you in here. How many of you are like, whatever, throw the plan out. I'm just gonna willy-nilly and yeah, and just kind of cruise and see what happens. Yeah, cool right? There's all kinds. But God in the scriptures is clearly a planner. You can see he's a planner. Look at the creation account in Genesis. There's a plan. He designs things. He breathes life into man. He gives man a job to do. After he gives him a job to do, he says, you're going to have to learn how to rest. After he learns how to rest and connect with him, he says, you're not, this isn't good enough yet. You're going to need a woman. Whoa, man. And he's going to, you're going to need one of those. And he puts all those together. He says, this is part of the plan. And then things go sideways. And he says, I'm going to have to create a peculiar people that I have a relationship with because I got a plan. And he creates through Abraham the, uh, the Israelites and this group of people. It's part of his plan to stay in relationship with them because he's got a plan. And the Savior's coming. And Jesus is coming. And in the fullness of time, the scriptures tell us, God executes the plan and in comes to the world Jesus in the perfect moment of time. But that's not the whole of the plan because he's gonna to go to the cross and pay the price for all of our mistakes so that we can be forgiven. He's gonna to go to the grave and he's gonna conquer the grave because if it ends at the grave, that's not a very good plan. But he's gonna conquer the grave and on the other side of conquering the grave, he's gonna send the Holy Spirit so that we are not left here without a comforter and a counselor knowing how, how to behave and what to do. He's gonna give us wisdom and all of the pieces that, the, that, that are all part of the plan. See, God's a planner. He's a planner. All the way through the scripture, he's a planner. And here's the thing I want you to catch. Every plan that God has matters. Every plan that God has matters. He doesn't have any meaningless plans. He doesn't have idle plans. All of those plans that God plans are important plans. Say plans one more time. Plans. <laughs> All of those plans matter. And here's something I want you to catch. He planned on you. He planned on you. You're part of God's plan. And not only are you part of God's plans, your life has a plan. God designed you with a plan in mind. How many are excited to know that God has a plan for their life? How many are sometimes frustrated because they're not sure what God's plan for their life is? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if I could stand up here and in just like 30 minutes say, here's everything you need to know about God's plan for your life. But I'm gonna give you some keys from the life of Noah to how do you get a hold of God's plan for your life? Because here's the thing that happens to us. Some of us are in different seasons of life. 
Some of us are still young studs. And all the world seems available to us and anything seems impossible. Nothing seems impossible. Some of us are seasoned. And we think, well, did I do God's plan? Is there still a plan left? Some of you feel like you did God's plan for a season and now you're out of God's plan or now you've accomplished God's plan and you're just kind of in retirement mode on God's plan and God's looking at the, at the creation and he said, hey, there's always a plan and you're part of the plan. How do I know that there's always a plan? Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says it this way. Paul says, we're God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which God, listen, prepared in advance for us to do. There was a plan and he crafted you, carved you, shaped you, molded you, designed you, made you just how tall you needed to be, gave you just as much hair as you need, gave you just the right voice and pitch and tone. He gave you all the skills and things that you needed to accomplish the plan. You're part of the plan. Look at someone and say, you're part of the plan. Some of you wanted to say you're part of the problem and I caught you though. You're part of the plan. You're part of the plan. God has a plan for you and you're part of the plan. You're all designed, we're all designed by God and we have a plan. Here's the problem with the plan is God doesn't always fast forward us to the end of the plan. And every plan, there's a process to get into the end of the plan. And God, time after time after time, illustrates through the scriptures that the way that we get to the plan of God is we walk in the steps that God's laid out for us and every plan has a bunch of steps that get us to the place where we experience God's best and his plan for us. So the problem is we gotta learn how to identify the steps so that we know if we're getting in the plan. Well, Pastor Mike, what do you mean that there's steps? Well, here's how David said it, Psalm 37. Verse 23, he says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. That's pretty good news. He says, you get your heart aligned with God. You get into a relationship with God and God is faithful. He orders, he directs your steps. And listen to this. He delights in every detail of their life. Do you know God delights in every detail of your life? Some of you don't delight in every detail of your life. I would wager most of you. I don't know if I delight in every detail in my life. So it's pretty incredible to know that the God of the universe not only has a plan for me, he's ordering, guiding, directing my steps, and he's enjoying it. He's paying attention. He's like, man, you're awesome. I did such a good job with you. So just take the next step. It's going to be great. He delights in it. Some of you are like, but I keep messing up. Don't worry. Verse 24, though they stumble... They'll never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Wow, what a cool picture of God walking with us. What does it mean to walk with God? Trusting that there's a step. Trusting, some of you just needed to hear God likes you and delights. So if you just caught that, that God delights in you, you might've caught everything you needed to catch today. That's not as far as we're gonna get to know in a minute, but you might've just needed to hear that there's a plan, you can walk in it. God enjoys walking with you and you're gonna stumble from time to time, but he won't let you fall, come on now, because he's right there holding you by the hand. That's how God works. That's his heart for you. That's his plan. So we see this picture of Noah who the scripture tells us walks with God, who the scriptures tell us by faith obeyed God 
and lived with God. And I'm in Genesis chapter six, and I'm gonna get through about three chapters worth of information today, but I'm not gonna read every verse of that information or we'll be here until Christmas. And so, uh, so you have to do something. You have to do some homework. You're gonna have to read Genesis six, seven, eight, nine, all of that information on your own to get all of the story and make sure I didn't make any of this up. Also, because I think it's awesome when you read the word of God and don't just trust me to articulate the word of God to you, you should read that. And because there's cool stuff in there you might not have never seen before. <clears throat> you might not have never. Is that too many negatives? Somebody caught me on my, my California grammar over here. I caught that. That's okay. You might not have never ever. Is that, is that right yet? How many times until it flips it back to the right direction? <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm reading the story of Noah, a story that I love, and I'm going, how many animals got on the ark? Well, you better read Genesis chapter 7 if you think it's only two of each type. You better, get, you better start reading. There's, there's seven of each kind of bird. There's seven of every clean, two of every unclean. It would have been foolish to only put two of every kind because he sacrificed a couple of them at the end of the boat ride. That would have been a bad mistake on Noah's part. But God orchestrated for him to add a couple more to the pot so that he could have some of those worship things in place when he gets there. I'm just telling you, you should read the story. <clears throat> so I'm in, <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis chapter six. I'm gonna begin at verse five and we're gonna learn a little bit about what was going on as we walk with God. Genesis chapter six, verse five says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. There's so much just right there. How about just the fact that God's paying attention? Ever wonder, God, are you even looking at this? Are you even paying attention? Look at, we see so many things happen. And we're like, God, are you even paying attention? And the scripture's like, yeah, God saw. He's paying attention. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness in the human race had become on the earth. And listen, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Wow. A couple weeks ago when we were talking through Enoch, I just pressed for your consideration how interesting it must have been to be around people who live to be three, four, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred years old, and thinking about if someone had rejected God in their 30s, 40s, 50s, in their early adulthood, what the picture of that wickedness could look like if you live to be 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. Can you imagine someone coming and saying, 350 years ago, you wronged me. Those conversations must have happened at some level back then. Imagine the, the grudges and like some of you, you got like lifelong grudges. You've been mad at someone since high school and it's been like 20, 30 years and someone's telling man, you got to deal with this. Imagine 10 times that number of time. If the inclinations of your heart are always evil all the time, then the relational damage and devastation and the, just the nature of what was going on in that time must have been horrific. And here's God saying, now here's the other thing that's incredible. What is he looking at? He's not looking at every behavior. He's looking at the inclination of every heart. God's always looking at the heart. We're always worried about behavior, measurable behavior, right? What did you do? God's saying, what was in your heart? What was in your heart? Why it's so important that we learn to, 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 to uh, be honest and open and trust God with our heart. 
all the time. Next verse. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Wow. There's so much depth there. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. And then in the midst of all that, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but this living for Jesus thing from time to time has caused some eyes to be on me. Sometimes those eyes are critical. Sometimes those eyes are coming from wicked places and they're looking at you and measuring you. And you've been that before. You've been the only person at your work, you think, who is having a moral dilemma with some of the things that are going on there. You've been the only one in your circle of friends and everyone else is okay with the thing that you know is kind of questionable or you shouldn't be doing and you're trying to stand up for God and you feel the pressure of all of the eyes are on you. You've been the one maybe that you've found yourself in a position where you had to say, yeah, I understand, that's okay. But for me and my house, we don't do it that way. We serve the Lord. And you felt the weight of all those eyes on you perhaps and, and wondered, man, what is that? Ah, that's really hard. And there's so many eyes on you. And then look at Noah's world as the only person living for the Lord. Imagine all the eyes on him, but Noah's aware of one particular set of eyes. And there's something powerful when you get a hold of this idea, when it gets into your heart, when it gets into your soul, this picture that God's paying attention and that he cares and that he delights in you and that he's watching and that he's integrated into not just the behaviors. He's not about behavior modification. He cares about what's going on in your heart. And somehow on a heart level, the scriptures identify that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's powerful. Powerful. Verse five. I'm sorry. No, I'm jumping backwards. Verse nine. So the scriptures say, this is the account of Noah. Now, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And here it is. And he walked faithfully with God. That's amazing. That's incredible. Now, I had some tension as I was reading this because clearly Noah's righteousness was not the same as perfection. Because we know from the moment sin entered the world through the garden, through that whole debacle, there wasn't any more perfect people until Jesus. So there's no way that Noah was perfect. There's no way that he had an a absolute clean slate before the Lord. But there was something peculiar about his heart and the way he processed the state of the world that was different than everybody else that got the attention of God. And he made a decision somewhere on his journey that as he looked out at everybody else's behavior, heart, all the things that was going on, he said, all of that might be okay for you, but as for me, come on now, I'm gonna walk with God. And God responded to that and recognized that. And it says, and he walked with God. What does it look like to walk with God? It looks like this. We take a step, we take a step, we take a step, we take a step. He walked with God. It says Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. All the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So we know Enoch's gone by this time, right? God's like, Enoch, you and I were bros. You're coming with me. 
We know Methuselah is still alive. That's an important factor because we know he's the ticking clock of the coming flood. He's about to pass away here somewhere in this story. We won't see that he passed away, but if you do the math of when he was born, how long he lived, and when the flood, flood happened, we know that particular year is when he passed away. But we have a picture then that Methuselah at this point must not have been walking with God because there was no one else that God identified as being willing to walk with him. It's crazy to think about walking with God in that kind of environment. Some of us are discouraged to walk with God in environments where we're just not sure it's gonna be cool with everybody. He was certain it wasn't gonna be cool with anybody. All his cool points cashed in. He's walking with God, walking with God, walking with God. Verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm gonna put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely gonna destroy both them and the earth. There's a verse if you want to put it on a Christian t-shirt. <laughs> Probably not the one that's going to get you where <laughs> you want to be in a conversation starter with people. But God is clear. He's like, that's it. I'm going to put an end to all of this and the violence that happens because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And now listen, verse 14 is the first instruction Noah gets. So make yourself an ark out of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. Now listen, I don't know how God talked with Noah. I just know that he did. I don't know if God spoke to him in an audible voice. I know God can speak in an audible voice like he did when Jesus was baptized and the voice from heaven came out and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus gets affirmation before he even starts on his mission. That's, oh man, if I, if I had time, I would just talk to you about how important it is before Jesus ever took a step on his mission that God clearly said, you're okay with me. I'm okay with you. I believe in you. You have a plan for your life. You have a plan for your life. That's a whole nother story. We don't know how God spoke with Noah. Maybe he spoke in dreams and in visions like he did with the prophets. We're not sure if that's how he spoke with Noah. We don't get a picture of the story. We just know that he clearly articulated that somehow in the middle of a wicked culture, it was possible to keep your heart in tune with God, to walk with God and to hear his voice. We just know it was possible. So he tells him, you're gonna go make yourself an ark out of cypress wood. Imagine that request. You're gonna build a giant barge, essentially, out of cypress room, wood, and you're gonna make rooms in it, and you're gonna coat it with pitch inside and out. Pitch would be like tar. Basically, he's saying, waterproof this bad boy. It's gonna be a big job to waterproof this thing, so I wanna be very clear that that's the step I'm asking you to take. Hebrews 11.7 says he built the ark when he hadn't seen anything yet. So he hasn't seen the flood. It's never rained. He doesn't have a picture of why do I have to put pitch tar on the inside and on the outside. He just knows that God's asking him to do it. Verse 15, this is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long or 300 cubits long. It's about 450 feet. Three, 450 feet. How many feet is a football field? 300, yeah, you guys were like not sure. I thought you guys were all Seahawks fans. 300, right? So 450 is about a football field and a half, give or take. I want you to think about a football field and a half. 
Now, what God did not say was, hire some contractors, right? I'll provide for you money from heaven. He did not say that. He said, you are going to build a giant ark, and you're going to have to put pitch on the inside and on the outside. Imagine that. He says 450 feet long, 75 feet wide is essentially what that comes out to, and 45 feet high. 45 feet high, tar, inside, outside. Then verse 16, this is the part that that blew me away as I was reading it. Verse 16, make a roof for it. I don't know if any of you have done roofing work before. I don't do roofing work. I watch some roofers. I'm like, they're crazy. That's hard work. Imagine it's never rained before and God says, build this giant barge and put a roof on it. Why would I need to put a roof on it? Can you imagine what it must, I, I don't know about you, I'm a negotiator at heart. And so when I feel like God gives me a picture of a job that's maybe just too big, when God's words are signed, I'm, I'm always looking for, can we do it like, what's the quicker way to get this done? Seriously, God, 450 feet and it needs a roof? Now, here's the thing. Some of us have gotten pictures from God, assignments from God, a mission from God, and you're looking at it and you're like, this picture's too big. It's too huge. Do you know how long it would take to do that, God? Do you have any idea how long it would take to achieve the thing? And Noah's no spring chicken. He's 500 when this starts. He's 500. Now we know they lived a long time, but 500 is not 200. He's a grown man. He's 500. He's not a teenager. He's, not, he's, he's an adult. And he's been given an assignment that is epic, 450 feet. Imagine the logs of Cyprus that he had to chop down. Now, I was, uh, I was in my backyard last, uh, last year. We had a windstorm, and a bunch of trees kind of broke and snapped. And there were some tree fallers, and they had to come. And it was on the county side or whatever, and so they had to come and, and take those trees down. And they had a whole team. They had a truck. They had a wood chipper. They had multiple chainsaws. They had ropes and pulleys. And they still dropped that thing on my fence. And that's all they did. That was their whole job, was doing that assignment. Can you imagine with the kind of tools of that time, the assignment that God gave him and just the vast picture of that. And sometimes I think we're afraid of the assignment God gives us. And we said, the picture of this, it might just be too big. How could we possibly do it? And so Noah has to take a what? A step. He has to take a step. He's got to go out. Imagine what it must have taken to chop down the first tree. I mean, after that, he probably got in a rhythm but somewhere along the line, he had to get a saw, an axe, I don't know what he was using. And he had to go out there and begin the process and chop down the first tree. And then God's like, oh yeah, you're gonna have to put a roof on it. Oh my goodness. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Okay, God, sure. Anything else, you know? You want a good paint job? Do we put rims on it, spit in? I'm teasing. That's a Bay Area joke. You guys will get that there. <laughs> what? 
And, he, and then, here's what I love. And then he begins to explain what's gonna happen. God always gives us the next step before sometimes he gives us the big picture. He often gives us the next step. He says, you're gonna need to be obedient. Here's the picture of the work I want you to do because here's what's coming, verse 17. I'm gonna bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens and every creature that has the breath of life in it and everything on the earth will perish. But I'm gonna establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son wives with you. So Noah gets directions and then he gets to work. He gets directions and then he gets to work. God says, that's the direction. And Noah takes a step. He says, you're going to have to pitch both sides. Okay, I'm going to take a step. You're going to have to put a roof on it. Okay, I'm going to take a step. He says, water's going to be coming. It's going to be important. You build a door so you can get in there. I'm going to take a step. You're going to have to build three decks. Okay, I'm gonna take a step. And here comes Noah, and he begins this process of faithfully following the directions that God gave him. Verse 19, you're to bring two into the ark, two of all the living creatures, male and female, keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. I love this picture. Noah did not have to be a safari guy. He did not need a butterfly net and a lasso to get these animals. God sent in the animals for him. God was working alongside. They were walking walking together. There's a plan. And as Noah takes a step, he sees the evidence of God. Here's what's so cool. You see the evidence of God all the time when you take steps in the direction of his will. I hear your stories. You tell me your stories. I didn't know why. God opened the door. I walked through this door and I didn't know what God was doing, but suddenly this fell into place. And suddenly, and if I hadn't been faithful and listened to God, I would have never been positioned. So God brings these confirmations along the way and along your journey and he's faithful to do his part. Why? Because it's a walk with God. And so here comes God's part of the deal. God could have built the boat He says, you build the boat because you know why? You can't gather the animals. Good luck with that. But I can gather the animals. He says, they'll come to you. Noah takes a step. Verse 21, you're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and store it away for you and for food for them. This is gonna be a lot of food, guys. In a little while, we're gonna talk about how long they're actually on the boat. Noah does not have the exact time and date of how long he's going to need to be on the boat. He just knows he's going to have to store up a ton of food. Takes a step. (laughs) Anyone feeling the enormity of this job yet? Yet Noah trusts God and he walks with God. I was thinking about how sometimes it's hard to take the next step when you feel like I can't see the end. I can't see the end. I know I'm taking a class right now. And I know God called me to do this, but it's like 10 classes away. I don't know how I'm gonna pay for them. I know God's calling me to do this, but I got oh, responsibilities. I'm not a kid anymore. I can't take time. I, can't, I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I know I gotta take a step, but I'm not sure how this door is gonna open. I know I, know I gotta take a step. And, and, and it feels like it's so far away. I want you to catch a picture here. Noah's 500 years old when he gets the assignment. He's 600 years old when he gets on the boat. I'm just saying, sometimes the planets of God require a long season of faithfulness. So my question is, are you taking the steps? If it's taken too long, have you tapped out? Said, God, I know you wanted me to go there, but come on. I'm not a kid anymore. 
Or, hey, I'm not the same person I was when I started on this journey. You know what? 100 years is a long time. Now, we don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark. People will argue, but no more than 120 years. Some will say, well, you know, if you look at the timeline, maybe it was around 50 years. All I know is 450 feet of boat. That's 75 feet tall, high, tie, tall, and has a roof on it. And here's the thing. There's no directions for windows. It's three stories and there's no directions for windows. You know what the directions for ventilation is? Leave 18 inches at the top between the roof. Now listen, this is the most horrific part of the story for me because I had to, you know, as I'm studying, just contemplate because he's gonna be on this boat for a long time. That means he's gonna have to, you know, some, some will say maybe the animals went into hibernation. That would be very kind of God, that'd be great. But he's gonna have to manage being on this boat with some smelly animals. They're eating food. So things happen when you eat food. And he's only got 18 inches at the top to shovel and pick. He's got three stories until he gets to the 18 inches. I'm just saying. If I, I'm like, seriously, God? I'm, I'm okay. I'm in. Whatever you say. That picture is incredible, though. And here's God giving him step after step after step. And here's the thing I want you to catch. With God, no steps ever wasted. No steps ever wasted. Sometimes I think we think that God's given us a step that's a waste. But you look back at your life and you didn't get to where you're at all in one step. There were some steps and some of those steps looked like backward steps at the time. But you didn't realize God was positioning you because a storm was coming and you needed to be in the right position to avoid the danger of that storm. And God's like, you gotta trust me and take a step. And some of you are like, I took some steps, God, and it didn't accomplish what I thought it was going to accomplish. But I'm telling you, with God, no steps are ever wasted. So Noah's obedient. Verse 22 said he did everything the Lord commanded him. Verse seven, chapter 7, verse 5, again, says Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Because walking with God looks like this. I trust God and I take a step. And I trust God and I take a step. And I trust God and I take a step. And I trust God and I take a step. <laughs> Let's take a look at what happens. Chapter seven, verse 11, I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. You should read the first 10 verses of chapter seven for sure because it will just blow your mind on what's happening with these animals. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, it's been 100 years, guys. On the 17th day of the second month, suddenly we're getting all these exact dates and they're important because I'm gonna tell you how long they were on the boat, barge, ark, whatever you wanna call it. On the day that all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates from the heavens were opened. Now listen, we had a lot of worship songs that were like, open the floodgates of heaven, yeah. This was not good news for everybody else at this time. If you were not on the boat, the floodgates of heaven were literal floodgates of heaven. We're talking about water coming down that has never come down like this before or since. It says, and rain fell. It's the first time this ever happened in the history of the world. On the earth for how long? Yeah, you guys knew that one. Good job. 40 days and 40 nights. So the day that this bursts open, the 40 days and 40 nights of rain starts. On that very day, verse 13, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. And they had with them every wild animal. I love that God makes sure we know that it's wild animals. 
according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves on the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and everything with wings. Pairs of all the creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. Now we could get into conversations about kinds and types and the quantity and the volume of animals some other place than this. But here's what I want you to catch. Look at verse 16. The animals going in were male and female, every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door. I've probably read this countless times and not realized that Noah didn't close the door. Noah didn't close the door. Noah's on the boat. He's on the raft or whatever you want to call it, the barge. It's hard to call it a boat. Boats have things like steering wheels and rudders and sails. This is more like a barge, if that picture gives you a better picture of it. But Noah's hopefully up somewhere on the third floor where the air's flowing, hopefully, and the animals are getting in and the ground is bursting with water and rain is coming down like it's never rained before or since. We know something about rain in this area. We know nothing about this kind of rain. Feel the whole planet at one time kind of rain. And Noah is taking shelter in the boat and the animals are coming in. And I don't know how long it took them snails to get on the boat. I'm not sure what the process of boarding looked like. I don't know if they helped one another out, if Noah got them on there. Like, I'm not sure what that looked like. All I know is at some point it was crisis mode, and look what God does. He's like, hey, don't worry, I got this. And he shuts the door. Now, there's a thing here. I don't, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time speculating, but I was just struck by this truth. We use this language all the time about God opening doors and shutting doors. And there's a few times in scriptures that he quite literally does that thing. And this is a beautiful picture of someone who's walking in with, uh, with obedience with the Lord. Walking in obedience with the Lord. Trusting the Lord. And then the door shuts. And the season of that thing is over. And for some of us, when a door shuts, we're, we're in, our, in our maturity, we go, oh, that's awesome. Like there was these options, but God shut the door and I knew where to go. But sometimes the door shuts and we think it's devastating. Oh, I was hoping that this door would be open, but the, the Lord shut that door. We don't know how to process that. But here's what I want you to catch. God opens and shuts doors. And our faith in walking with God has to understand he's got that. And we can trust him. He's still opening and shutting doors. Noah, he shuts the door. Sometimes we see it as a confirmation. Sometimes we see it as a curse, but God shuts the door. There's a whole other story about there were a lot of folks that had a lot of opportunity for a hundred years to look at Noah and go, hey, there's something to this God thing. But when the door was shut, the door was shut. At some point, the door was shut. He gets on the boat, and as you read, and they do the math of how long he's there, and the water swell, and the rain stops after 40 days, and then the water finally, you got to remember, he's on this boat, and he can't steer. He didn't build a rudder. He didn't build windows. Now, there's a window on the boat eventually, so I don't know if he built it on the fly as he was, like, desperate, like, oh, my goodness, we got to cut a window in here, because somehow he lets the dove out and the raven out, and it says, like, he built a window at some point on the journey, because I'm telling you, if I'm on that boat and I have any of my tools with me, or even if I don't, I'm somehow building a window (laughs) at some point, and then he lets lets them out, but the total math 
of how long he's actually on the boat with the animals and his family is in excess of 370 days. For some of you, that's news. You didn't realize how long that journey and that process was. It's 370 days, give or take some days on the boat, over a year. And they hit land. They're up on Mount Ararat. And they get out. And Noah has the door opens. And he's got to take a step. And he's got to take a step. And he's got to take a step. You know, what's incredible to me is this picture of all of these steps leading to the boat. And the boat isn't the dream. The boat isn't the covenant. The boat is just protection from the storm. Sometimes God's shutting a door because there's a storm behind you and you don't even know what's coming. And you're gonna have to go into a season where you can't steer anymore. You don't get to have directions. There ain't no windows telling you what exactly is gonna happen. And that season may be longer than you thought it was going to be. But when you trust God and you walk with God, even when you can't see where this thing's going, even when you can't direct it, and you did all the steps you knew to do to get to this point. You got to wait till that door opens again. He says, okay, I got you. I'll take another step. I'll take another step. Genesis chapter 9 tells us kind of the end of this part of the story. And God, verse 8, says to Noah and his sons, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. He promised him that back in verse 6. He says, and all your descendants and every living creature that was with you, I'm never again, verse 11, going to destroy the earth with a flood. He says, that was the end of that. And because you were faithful, I protected you. And it was all part of the plan. I want you to understand this. With God, I told you no steps are ever wasted. Sometimes, sometimes, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, talks about not despising small beginnings. Sometimes the plan for your life has what seems like a pretty small beginning. I mentioned this, but it had to be wild having a picture of a 450-foot boat to go out and chop down the first tree. And for some of you, the plan that God has for your life, you haven't started because you thought, that's too small. That's too small, I can't just do that. Enroll for a class, apply for a job, take a step out relationally. I can't just do that. That's not gonna get me where I'm supposed to go. And God's saying, hey, don't despise those small steps at the beginning. Just get started. Just get started. He gave you a picture. Take the first step. Wait a second. You don't understand, Pastor Mike. I'm not young. Okay. No, it wasn't young. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor Mike. I'm too young. None of us are going to buy that excuse, guys. Us old guys are like, yeah, right. So you got to get started. Sometimes some of the steps don't even make sense. You don't even realize what God's doing until he does it. I was thinking about the first time I ever had to stand up for my faith at all. Not to just like my knucklehead friends like in a real life environment. I was in 11th grade. It was day one of honors English class. And honors English class, I walk in and the teacher writes this thing on the board and we have, to, we have to write a response to this statement. And I'm gonna get the statement a little bit messed up. But essentially, she writes about Adam and Eve. And she says, how do you respond to the fact that God tempted Adam and Eve with the apple? And I was like, What? First of all, I've been a Christian for a little bit now, and I know that God doesn't tempt people. So that language is wrong. Did God tempt? And so I raised my hand, and I said, wait a second. Your whole premise is wrong, because God didn't tempt Adam and Eve. And she goes, don't tell me what the Bible says. I've read it. And I was like, okay. But God didn't tempt Adam and Eve. And she goes, what do you mean God didn't tempt Adam and Eve? He said, here's this thing. You can't have it. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second. If I told you 
if you jump off a cliff, you'll die. Did I just tempt you to jump off the cliff? Because if that's tempting, then okay, then maybe I understand you. And she got so mad. And she's like, if you're not going to do the assignment, if this class is already full, then just get out of this class. This is like, this is not a long, this is a long time ago. I'm old. And I remember I had this moment. All the eyes went, what kind of man are you? Do you really believe what you said? This is the only honors English class. College credit. And I remember I had a moment. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to sit in this class where you just defame God like that. And I stood up and I, you know, in my manliest trapper keeper slamming way, <laughs> slammed it. And I said, I'm out of here. And I walked out into the hallway. And I didn't even know where to go. Like, what is it? You're 15, 16 years old. You don't know where to you're like, you're like, yeah, sticking it to the man. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I walked down to the office and I was like, oh, my dad's going to kill me. And I just walked in and I said, they told me the class is too full and I don't agree with them. So they told me to find a new class. And they're like, okay, go to this one. That was the whole story, right? But I look back on that and I remember thinking that was, I was so mad at the moment and the great injustice of it all. But God used this little moment early on and it was just a step. It was just a step. It wasn't everything. It felt like a backward step. Everyone was making fun of me. Come on, I was already church muffin. And calling me church muffin. And here I am, just taking a step, taking a step. Maybe God in the season you're in right now is just giving you a little picture to prepare you so you can be entrusted with a lot more. And you just gotta take a step. And you just gotta take a step. And you just gotta take a step. Some of you are in here and you've been trying for a long time just to figure out what the next step is. And you're like, Pastor Mike, if I just knew the next step, I would take it. Let me give you a couple pictures of that, and we're going to close here pretty soon. But probably the best advice I ever got in that season from a pastor was, listen, if you're not sure what the next step of God is, just go back to the last thing you knew for sure and be faithful to that with everything you got. And some of you are so frustrated you haven't seen the next step that you haven't been faithful with the last assignment because you're thinking, oh, I, I built enough of the boat. Are you kidding me? And God's like, nope, keep going. Get the pitch in there. Get the tar in there. Keep going. You don't realize the storm that's coming. Keep going. <laughs> I heard one pastor say this. I thought it was brilliant advice. He said, if you're not totally sure what your next step is, go find someone who you trust, who loves the Lord, who's doing their next step, and just help them. Just partner up, be part of the body of God and serve and, and help them until God gives you your picture. And then pray when you're doing it that God brings people around you to support you. Be faithful. And some of you, you've known what the next step is for ages and the courage to take that step is what's been missing. And that's what I'm gonna pray for you. That God would give you the courage and you, you would get over some of the resistances. But everyone's going to think this, but I'm in this phase of life, but my resource doesn't match the picture of that dream. And God's saying, hey, I'm not asking you to get to the end of the dream today. I'm asking you to take a step. Would you take a step? You know, some of us, we want to shortcut it so badly. It's funny because I, I, I watched this show. Um, I don't even know if it's still on anymore, but it, it was called uh, Lottery Wrecked My Life or Ruined My Life or whatever, right? And it's this picture of people who got all of the resource to live their dreams, but they didn't go through any of the steps. And because they hadn't gone through the steps, they didn't have the character in place. They didn't have the discipline in place. They didn't have the wisdom in place. They didn't have the life experience in place. And it ruined their lives jumping to the end of a, of a dream of a story without come on now walking through the steps and some of us have been 
grumpy about taking those early steps and despising those early steps when God's saying, don't despise those early steps. You didn't realize, you thought you were just standing up to some English person, uh, English person, English teacher. Sorry, English people in the room. English teacher, you thought, <laughs> we were standing up against the British. Um, <laughs> that's not the same story, different story. You thought, <laughs> come on. You thought, Pastor Mike, you were just standing up to a teacher. But I was building in you that you were going to always stand up for me. And you had to learn that then so that you wouldn't wilt under the greater pressure later. So don't despise those early beginnings. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And I'm going to just leave you in, 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 a, in a moment of worship. But I don't know what it means for you to trust God and take a step. Maybe the first step that you take today is just trusting in God at all. And you've never taken that step. And you've been intellectually dancing around with the idea of a relationship with God. And today you need to take a step and invite God into your heart and into your life. The scriptures tell us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. Doesn't say if you have all your questions answered, if you get everything right, if you score perfect on the Bible SATs, then you'll be saved. It just says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Some of you just need to take that step. Some of you have felt like, oh, I did all the things I was supposed to do and I don't see the end. And God's saying, whoo, sometimes you think you got the timing down, but let me tell you what the timing really looks like because there's a storm coming. And don't worry, just keep going until I close the door. And when I close the door, you'll know what I was doing. So God, today, <laughs> I'm, I'm just so struck by what it must have taken for so long to, to work and to, to, to be faithful when no one else was being faithful. And we just give us, God, encourage us from your word today, from the story in the life of Noah. Encourage us to have faith to take a step. Encourage us to believe that we can hear from you and obey. And that, God, if maybe just one person walking with God, even in the midst of a, of a, a, a society or a culture that's completely rejecting God, one person walking with God literally saved the world, what could happen if we would do the same? What could happen if we believed that you had a plan for us and that we could do in that plan and that you would open those doors that need to be opened and that you would partner with us and though we stumbled, you would catch us because you care. So God, restore dreams, I pray. Restore the plan for those of us that have been afraid, I pray for courage. For those of us who have been confused, I pray for clarity. And for those of us who have been standing on the edge looking in, I pray today would be the moment where we just say, yes, Lord, we trust you. We'll stand with you and for you in Jesus' name. Would you lift your voice with me?